All right, well, welcome to the Coffee House Questions. Uh, this is Ryan Polly, and uh, today we are going to be having a fun conversation. I am joined by my good friend Kendall. Kendall, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks, Ryan. Good, and you are. Uh, well, we met in the Bio Apologetics program. That's correct. You start out, and then uh, you made the transition to MA Philosophy. Yes. So now you're at the philosophy program at Talbot. Yep. How are you enjoying it? It's been really great. Um, it's been an interesting transition, but I've been enjoying it. All right. And you also are a, uh, maybe, I don't know how comfortable you are, right? You're a visitor in the United States. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm an, I'm an international. I am from Australia, if you hadn't heard the accent already, um, and uh, came over here to do some graduate study. Yeah. So. Now, I said, I don't know if you're comfortable, because I know uh, a lot of people point that out frequently. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, yes, that is correct. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, I'm glad. So, so Kendall just wrote a paper uh, for his MA uh, philosophy program on the teleological argument, and is God explanatorily burdensome? And so uh, I said, man, I, I read over it and asked him, I said, man, we got to, we got to do a podcast on this. We got to talk about this. And so he was kind enough to join me this evening, and so uh, I'm excited to discuss this with uh, him. So, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course, man. You know, we we've been talking about doing a couple shows before, and just haven't gotten it to work out. So here we are. Yep. Finally doing it. We're both uh, we both finally done for the summer. It's such a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Turn in those last papers. Yep. Yeah, it feels great. So. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about the teleological argument for God's existence and kind of going into that. And that's one of the main arguments, would you say, right, for, for the existence of God along with the cosmological and maybe moral argument? Yeah, absolutely. And, and what, what caused you to want to talk and write your paper on the teleological argument? Is there something about this that kind of stood out more to you or seemed more powerful? Or, or what are your thoughts? Um, I think part of the power of the teleological argument is um, that a lot of it is really heavily supported by science um, and the probabilities of fine-tuning uh, just, it just seems to align so much better under a Christian worldview or under theism than under kind of any other uh, other kind of explanation. So um, I think that's probably one of the things that fascinates me about fine tuning. I think it's just a really powerful argument, and it, it does have a lot of science built into its uh, its premises. Okay, so the, the the fact that it has science kind of makes that more powerful. What would you say to a Christian that's like, you know, should we really be trusting what these scientists are saying? You know, science has been wrong in the past. You know, if we put too much trust in science rather than scripture, can that create problems? What What are your thoughts on that? Uh, th that's a really great question. I actually, um, I, I'm a strong believer that, um, that God has ordered the natural world as well as giving us the book of, of the Bible, right? Yeah. And that um, it's actually a really special thing to go out and explore creation. We can actually learn something about the creator through the creation. Um, so I, I don't really think that we have uh, necessarily much to fear from science. Now, um so um, I honestly really appreciate science. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is very important to point out is this idea of God's revelation, both general revelation and how he has revealed to us, to, revealed to us through nature, as well as special revelation, God's revelation through scripture. And that if these are both coming from God, they're going to agree with each other. Uh, and if we understand and have a correct interpretation of scripture, as well as a correct interpretation of science, they're going to match up, right? And, and at any point that there's there's contradiction, if they're both coming from God, he's not going to make them contradictory, right? And so either our interpretation of Scripture is off or our interpretation of science is off, right? So if we have a good foundation of both, that you know we should be able to use science, right, and to show that God exists and to create powerful arguments for his existence. Do you think it, it, it also helps in the sense of talking with non-believers to have a very science-based 
kind of argument for God's existence because that's something that they do take as authoritative? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's um, th- there's a pretty common idea in culture that says that, you know, that, that science is like basically one of the only ways to figure out truth about the world around us. And um, I think there's often a, a misconception that Christians are against science or anti-science. And so it's powerful when a Christian actually knows science because that often surprises people. They're like, wait, this guy does science and, and he's a believer. How does that work? Hmm. Um, so I think there's a powerful, um, th- that aspect of it is powerful. Um, the other thing I would say is that a lot of the development of science, if we look historically, um, I, I think Christianity really actually helped the development of science. Uh, I mentioned before that um, it was um, it, it, the desire to search out the natural world to see how God has revealed himself in nature um, is actually like a powerful drive for many Christians. And that's actually been the case through history. Yeah. Um, like the historian uh, Rodney Stark has made the case that um, the modern science arose in Europe and not in other parts of the world, primarily because they were Christian theists that went out to explore nature, to explore how the world worked. Guys like uh, Newton, Boyle, Kepler, Copernicus. Yeah, it's with the understanding and and the worldview perspective of that we should see order in nature. Exactly. And so there's there's, there's something intelligible about nature that we should see and, and that we should be able to discover that's going to point to an orderer and a lawgiver. And that's kind of part of the teleological argument, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, well, if you guys have any any questions or comments, I just want to make sure I kind of get this information out there. Uh, you're always free to to write in, and I love hearing your your, your suggestions or your comments or, or anything. And so uh, just remember that you can uh, send in your questions at uh, contact at coffeehousequestions.com, uh, Facebook page, facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, <clears throat> or... Uh, by text message, 714-989-6927. And so, uh, Kendall, so let's go to this paper that you wrote. Um, and you talked about, uh, you're kind of looking at Robin Collins' teleological argument. Yep. Uh, is there a certain way that he, he formulates this argument that might be different from other words? Is there kind of a basic, you know, the premises and conclusion that he, he comes up with? Um, yeah, so Robin Collins' approach is a little bit different. And that was one of the reasons I chose to do my paper based on his argument. And so what he does is he basically says that, look, we have this fact of fine-tuning, right? Um, we have all these bits of evidence from science that point to the fact that the um, Earth is, or the universe is fine-tuned for human life to arise. Um, now, how do we explain that fact? Well, um, we've kind of got two choices. It's either some version of theism or non-theism, some version of, of some kind of um, immaterial mind, some kind of God, or some kind of non-theistic hypothesis. And Robin Collins kind of looks at these two hypotheses and says, well, it seems to be that this is something that we'll expect under theism. If we believe in God, we should expect the universe to be fine-tuned for human life. Okay. But would we expect that under, say, non-theistic hypotheses? Well, no, not necessarily. And so that's kind of the, the overall kind of summarized case that Robin Collins is making here. Okay. So kind of one of the main ways, I guess, that I normally have heard the teleological argument, you know, presented is kind of this idea of, you know, design requires a designer. Uh, our universe is designed, therefore our universe has a designer. Yeah. And that we see this design, we see this order, therefore there's an orderer. Yeah. And so then what you're saying then is, okay, then we ask the question, what is the orderer? Uh, does the theistic explanation uh, make more sense of how that design came and the order came into our universe or a non-theistic explanation? And so here you, you mentioned that, that Robin Collins uh, gives kind of five uh, evidences of fine-tuning that he sees in the universe. The first one being the constants of physics. Uh, can you kind of explain what is this first evidence? Uh, what is he talking about with the constants of physics? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so physicists have, have identified for quite a long time that um, there are specific uh, parameters or, or laws in physics that needed to be in a fairly precise kind of range of values in order for human life to occur. So these are things like the cosmological constant, which I'll explain in a moment, um, the strong and weak nuclear force, um, the strength of gravity. Um, so there's various forces that govern how nature works, and these had to be pretty precise for us to exist. And so these are kinds of some of the evidences uh, that Robin Collins talks about in, in his paper. So... Uh, for example, the cosmological constant is the rate of the expansion of the universe. If the universe had um, expanded too quickly, um, the universe would be too spread apart, it'd be too cold, it'd be too difficult for human life to exist. Mm -hmm. If it had uh, expanded too slowly, um, it actually would have potentially collapsed back in upon itself. Because and, of the gravitational force. Yeah. And, and so we, we may not be here at all. And so what we find then is that... Um, the strength of the cosmological constant is within a pretty tightly defined parameter for the universe to exist the way it is right now. And you have written here that the cosmological constant has to be finely tuned to at least one part in 10 to the 53rd. So that's, you know, one with zeros. 53 zeros. That, yeah. that number is bigger than we can even just comprehend. Yeah. And so we're talking about a very finely tuned thing where it's not just like, oh, it got close. This is very... The cosmological constant has to be perfect. Yeah, and so I know it's it's difficult to think of a big number like that, like fifty three zeros. Like how long do you have to spend to write that out? <laughs> but um, I think a good analogy to kind of ground that is if you would actually cover all of North America in uh, in dimes, right? That's like ten cents over here, right? Yes. 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 Okay. There we go. So <laughs> uh, I always use ten cent coins, right? You know, anyway, um, what is a dime in Australia? Do you have ten cent coins? We have ten cent coins. Yeah. Do you have a name for it? Uh, no, we just call it 10 cents. 10 cents? Yeah, okay, we're, we we're pretty simple, you know. <laughs> you know. So if you were to cover um, North America in 10 cent coins, um, the entire country, right, including Alaska, um, and we stacked it all the way up to the moon, right? So we're talking we cover the whole country in these tiny little coins, stack it all the way up to the moon, and then I was to mark one of those coins in red, and I sent you, Ryan, in blindfolded to pick out a random coin. The odds that you'll pick out the coin that I marked is about... You know, roughly 1 in 10 to the 53, which wow. is what we're talking about here with the cosmological constant. So it, it's honestly mind-blowing how precisely yeah. tuned this particular um, constant is. Wow. Well, that can maybe we can just jump ahead a little bit um, and just kind of talk about an objection uh, to that is that one uh, possible you know, proposed hypothesis is, well, this just, this just happened by chance. You know, we just got really lucky. But, you know, this is something that, you know, talking about finding this dime, uh, the 10 cent coin, uh, you know, one marked in the entire, you know, country stacked up that high. That's not just luck. No, right? it's, there's more it's that not. goes into this. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when we see that in anything else, we automatically point to a designer. You know, I, I do think it's interesting uh, that when we see design in, in something as simple as a coffee mug, or a laptop, you know, which is much more complex than a coffee mug. But even a coffee mug or something very simple or even a stick figure, we say, well, that didn't just happen because a, a crayon fell on a piece of paper and created a stick figure. Exactly. Like even that yeah. we would attribute to a child or something that, that has, you know, consciousness and, 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 and intelligence that can create something that looks like a man. Uh, but, you know, how much more complex is our universe that we want to say, well, that comes from chance, but the stick figure couldn't or this computer couldn't come from chance. Exactly. We kind of uh, try and give a bit of special pleading to the universe, and I don't think that that's fair. 
Yeah, that the universe somehow can create itself or make itself ordered, whereas something much more simple can't. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay, so there's kind of the cosmological constant where, you know, we have, you know, the gravitational force trying to pull everything together. Cosmological constant is pushing everything out, the expansion of the universe and how that has to be equal because if it spans too fast or too slowly, life is not going to form. Yep. And so that would be one of the arguments that you present uh, from Collins that points to uh, the argument for God's existence, that there has to be a designer and a mind out there. Yep. Um, another thing that you point out here is the physical laws. Uh, if the physical laws weren't combined in just the right way, complex life would be impossible. What do you, how do you, how do you mean the physical laws being combined? Um, so say, for example, the combination of the cosmological constant and, and gravity, um, both of those had to work together in the right way for complex life to, to arise. Um, to give you an example, right? If you have like a, a gravitational force that's too strong, gravity is what keeps us to the ground, right? Yeah. Um, what if gravity was a little bit stronger and it really kept us to the ground? Well, um, then we wouldn't have developed into um, actually being as tall as we are. We'd actually be like little mini things, but we wouldn't actually have developed the ability to have intelligent life. Yeah. Um, the uh, levels of carbon and of oxygen throughout the universe, they had to combine in just the right way as well um, to, for us to even have, say, uh, some of the chemicals that we see in the periodic table, hmm. um, the right amount of hydrogen, all these kinds of things. So um, when we look at kind of all of this together, it's honestly, it's actually not that controversial to say that the universe is fine-tuned for human life. Uh, for people that don't believe in God, it's more the question of how do we explain this? Yeah. And that's the thing is, is it has to be explained somehow. So what makes the most sense? Yeah. Now, one thing it's kind of on that point that I've thought about is, is even within the cells of our body, right? We have, you know, at the very base structure, we have our atoms, right? With, you know, electrons and, ne and neutrons and everything. And even that is held together through forces. And if, if the laws and physics was constantly fluctuating and changing, what would happen if even the structure within our atoms was, was expanding and contracting, you know, what would happen you know, all of a sudden we just uh, kind of like, you know, implode on ourselves or, or slowly just float out into space if, if that attraction within our within the atoms of our body changed. Yeah, I think whatever happened there wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, just even thinking about that, like that has to stay constant. That can't fluctuate or else, you know, then we are not able to live um, and our bodies don't hold together in the way that they do. All right, so I think, you know, th those are a few good points to start with, with evidence pointing to the teleological ar uh, argument. This the idea of the laws of physics, the gravity, the expansion rate, how the electromag you know, electromagnetism and strong, weak nuclear forces, and just how everything functions well. Yeah. Um, and that one of the possible explanations is chance, and that seems to not make sense. Um, now, obviously, we would argue that a theistic explanation makes the most sense, that there is a designer with a mind, the mind of God out there creating an orderly universe that's going to function well. What are some of the other possible, uh, the non-theistic explanations for the design that we see in our universe? Uh, yeah, so th there are a couple. Um, I think probably pr the most common move that we would see is for people to try and explain fine-tuning by saying, well, there's potentially up to an infinite number of universes, and we just happen to be one of those universes with just those right qualities that we see in physics that kind of explains uh, fine-tuning. Um, so that would probably be the most common move. Uh, the other move is to say that, well, um, adding God to try and explain the design in our universe um, isn't actually helpful because it um, God, say by definition, might have to be more complex than the creation itself, and so therefore isn't a helpful addition to, um, to an explanation. Now, I don't think that those two moves work very well. 
Um, but um, those will probably be two of the more common moves here. Okay, and those are two that I hear frequently. Um, you yep. know, kind of this appeal to the multiverse. Um, is there maybe a reason or two that you think maybe the multiverse kind of explanation doesn't seem to work very well? Yeah, so I think firstly, um, the multiverse is fairly speculative, right? Um, there is, seems to be some hints of it. Um, but there's not really any strong experimental evidence that confirms its existence. So we're trying to like hypothesize something that's pretty big. It's a pretty massive addition in terms of like, um, when we think about theories, right, we want to usually try and go with the simplest explanation possible. It's uh, Occam's razor, right? And the, the multiverse kind of seems to uh, fly in the face of that a little bit, right? It's a, a fairly complex thing that we're trying to propose to explain something. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other thing is that... Um, a lot of people kind of hand wave at the multiverse. Like, well, the multiverse verse, of course, explains these things. Um, that isn't necessarily the case. Um, often what's kind of ignored is that um, if there was some kind of, say, universe generator that was just popping out universes like humans pop out babies or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, we would actually have to have some kind of principle or some something to try and explain why all these universes actually have different physical laws. We need some kind of mechanism to explain the difference in the physical laws or the, the constants of physics between all of these different universes. Um, so again, we're having to try and guess at something that may or may not exist. And even then, such a thing like, say, a mechanism that explains these differences in the physical laws will itself have to be finely tuned. So we're kind of back where we started. So we've kind of gone this really circuitous route to say, oh, maybe there's a multiverse and that explains the fine-tuning. And maybe within the multiverse, there's this thing that determines what the physical laws are. Um, but then that thing itself will have to be finely tuned. So we're kind of back to where we started. We haven't really explained fine-tuning. Yeah. So I don't think that that move to say that there's a multiverse works very well. And what just popped into my mind is, is kind of the idea of you can look at, you know, maybe uh, cars that are very, you know, finely tuned in order to function well. And you go, well, how do you explain all the cars? Well, then maybe there's a mechanism that creates all these. And maybe you go to some factory and you find the machine that is building these cars. But just because you find a machine that's building all these cars, you don't go, okay, there, we found it. Yeah. But that, now that machine has to be built by a designer in order to be able to design these cars well. And so then you kind of look at that. And so just because we, it, even if we could find the generator of the multiverses, then we have to say, well, where did that come from? And so it, it still gets you back to, you know, there needs to be a beginning yep. you know, of that, that first multiverse or the, the, the generator or whatever it may be. Now, could that same argument be made for God? And, and I, we've talked about this, I think, before on the, on the show is, of, well, if you can say, well, who designed the multiverse generator? Then, well, if you just say, well, God did it, well, then who designed God? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and it's one that I've encountered a lot. And I, um, in fact, I remember it's like it's one of the first questions that you, I think you even ask as kids, right? It's a question that resonates because uh, where does the where does the buck stop, right? Do we just is it like turtles all the way down? Um, how does that work? Um, so the the problem with that question though is it's actually asking the wrong type of question. It's like a almost like a loaded question, like you know, how often do you beat your wife? It's like whatever way you answer it it's not going to work well because the question, <laughs> yeah, the question is driving you to, like, to, to the wrong place. Yeah. And that's the same thing that's happening with, with this question. It's, um, within philosophy, it's what we'd call a, a category error because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get something physical, uh, something that is finite, and then apply that to an eternal being that is beyond the universe. It's like asking what the color red smells like. You're just asking the wrong type of question. Yeah. You're literally asking who created the uncreated being. Uh, and so 
I, the question then becomes, right, well, um, sure, God uh, might be eternal in some way, but is he the best explanation for the universe? Yeah. And, well, when I think when we combine together a lot of the arguments that Christians have for the existence of God, from cosmology, from teleology, from the fact that we see these kinds of morals that seem to exist that are objective of um, the human experience, the fact that we have consciousness, there are all these features about the universe that seem to suggest that God is the best explanation. And so I think this uh, who created God question, I, I really don't think it, that works as an objection to fine-tuning. Yeah, and, it, and I think it is important to point out that both the atheist and the Christian have to provide kind of that f- first cause, that uncaused first cause, right? And so there has to be something eternal that is the cause of everything that, that exists, that causes everything to come into existence. The Christian would say, well, that is God, is the uncreated creator. Uh, the atheist would have to be left with either nothing is the uncreated creator or the universe is the uncreated creator. But then the universe then has to be eternal. And that seems to go against yeah. the laws of thermodynamics and that sort of thing. And so the fact that our universe yeah. is not eternal then points to nothing having to be the uncreated creator and nothing doesn't create. That's very and, true. And so in that sense, I think that both the atheist and the Christian both have to find that uncreated creator, that that eternal first cause that it in itself was not caused. Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, we find that echoing throughout history, you know, as early as Aristotle, um, it was recognized that there needed to be some kind of unmoved mover, some kind of uh, uncaused cause that, that set things in action mm-hmm. because otherwise you just have an infinite regress, just uh, something causing something, something causing something, but you don't have anything to explain that initial something. Yeah. So that's a really, really powerful point to make, I think, in any kind of conversations that we have around these issues. Yeah. Well, and, and one analogy that I just thought of uh, the other week on kind of that the, the infinite regress, I think it's important to point out, is why an infinite regress is, is impossible. And, and I thought of a, a fireworks show and how, you know, you set up a tube with a mortar. In order to have a fireworks show, you have to push the button to launch the firework to enjoy the fireworks show. Mm-hmm. But if right before you push the button, you say, oh, let's put up one more tube. And then you're just about to push the button to launch the fireworks. And you say, wait, 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 let's put up one more tube and then one more tube and then one more tube. Are you ever going to get a fireworks show? And the answer is no. In order to get a show, you have to finally have the button pushed. Yeah. And so if we're only just creating one more cause and we go back infinitely and there's never the beginning or the push of the button, then you don't get the fireworks show or you don't live in the moment today. And yep. we're, we're kind of living in the fireworks show. So since the fireworks show is going on, we know that someone pushed the button yeah. at the beginning. And you can't just infinitely regress setting up tubes or else you never have a show. Yep. And I think, it's, it's, for me, that helps. Uh, yeah. And I think that that helps kind of paint that picture of of needing that first cause, uncaused, the person to push the button, the thing to get it all started. And so then the question is, which worldview, which, which worldview makes the most sense? Is it the theistic worldview that posits, you know, God is the designer and that first cause? Or is it the non-theistic worldview uh, which says either one chance that we just talked about. So another thing, though, that you mentioned in your paper and you mentioned before is is an objection that will come up is that God has to be more complex, right? And so uh, is it true that, that God would have to be more complex than the complexity of the universe in order to uh, to create the complex design that we see in the universe? And then how do we explain the complexity of the designer? Um, yeah, good question. I, I think that, um, honestly, I think that even if that were the case, I actually don't think that's a big problem for, for Christians. I think um, it, it, I'll give you an example to maybe ground this. So if, if 
for example, we, you know, we sent out our next uh, uh, Voyager 3 or whatever we're up to now, right? And we sent it out to Mars. And we found that there were these uh, complex structures there that were built. Um, what are we going to say? Are we going to say that these structures form themselves out of nothing? Um, no, I think probably the fair uh, explanation there would be that probably complex aliens designed these structures. Now, these complex aliens might be more complex than the structures, but that doesn't mean that they're not the best explanation for this. Hmm. Now, even that being said, I don't think it's necessarily the case that God is more complex um, than the creation. Um, the, a lot of theologians have typically regarded God as being um, simple, in the sense that God isn't this like a whole heap of like physical things or, or like little composite yeah. parts, but He's one being, He's one mind. Um, so well, I think that I think that's an important point is pointing out that this simpleness of God, even though we, that sounds weird because God is this infinite being. Sure. But a lot of times when we think of complex, we think of moving parts, all these levers and actions, and you know everything that has to be moving in just the perfect way in order for it to function well. But God being immaterial is not a bunch of moving parts. And, and so the, when we talk about complexity, it would be a very different type of complexity talking yes. about the nature of God. And so I think that we could say that God is not necessarily more complex because he's not a bunch of moving parts, but he, in its essence, is a simple being and an immaterial being, being consisting of a mind, right? And so that, I think, objection maybe wouldn't hold as much water, just saying, well, God is more complex, so it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think even if God is more complex, I don't think that's a problem for the Christian. Okay. One of the last things, what kind of uh, last main points that we'll hit is this idea of mathematics that you brought up in your paper. Can you kind of explain how mathematics comes into play, talking about the teleological argument? Um, yeah, sure. So um, one thing that I argue kind of through my paper is that um, the idea that theism isn't helpful in explaining fine-tuning um, is is not a great um, argument because theism actually seems to explain more features about the universe, right? Um, so if you have one theory that can explain, say, 10 things, it's better than a really complicated theory that can only explain, say, three things. And so what I kind of argue is that theism actually explains something else about the universe, and that's um, basically the fact that the universe is rationally intelligible, and we see a great example of that with mathematics. Um, mathematics is like something that kind of um, is done without um, uh, kind of experimental tests and that kind of thing, right? It's something that's like, uh, something that's what's called a priori. It's done without working with experiments and these kinds of things. And the thing is, is that when we do mathematics, that seems to map onto reality in a, in a really incredible way. Um, there's no reason to expect maths to work as it does in the real world. Um, a guy called Eugene uh, Wigner um, said that the gift of mathematics mapping onto rea reality is something that we neither deserve nor understand. It's a mystery. And so when we look at how maths is kind of used, um, we see some great examples of that, again, through history. So, for example, um, Maxwell was able to predict what radio waves would be two decades before we actually discovered them just mm. from using maths. So, so what explains this? How do we explain the fact that stuff that we can just kind of figure out in our heads that maps onto reality? Well, if an intelligent God created intelligent beings that could understand the universe around them, well, that will explain that. Um, yeah. But if you're not going to go with that, how else are you going to explain that? Yeah. So I, I think that the fact that theism explains mathematics and the fine-tuning of the universe and uh, all of these other things that we've mentioned earlier, right, 
Um, I, I think that really makes a powerful case for the truth of theism, for the truth of the Christian worldview. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I wish we had more time to go into this because I think there's you know so much more that can be talked about. This is a very brief kind of introduction to the teleological argument and kind of looking at a few of the objections. Um, I just want to kind of finish up and I want to read one part of your paper, I think, that maybe summarizes this very well. Uh, and you wrote here, uh, theism is, involves some kind of intelligent, immaterial mind that created and ordered the cosmos. A rational universe came from a rational mind, and the entire discipline of science takes place on the assumption of rationality and orderness. Science is done through repeated experiments, falsification, and the development of theory, all of which requires a universe with stable, orderly physical laws that intelligent agents can comprehend. And I think that's a great point that you made and kind of wrap up with is, is we have to assume the universe is ordered in a rational way and that we then also have orderly rational minds to even comprehend and to make science even possible. Without an orderly universe, science becomes impossible because if the laws of physics were changing every day, there's no way that you could do an experiment because every day you do the experiment, you just get a different result. And we couldn't know anything about our universe. And so this has to be true even to make our universe possible and to make science possible. Yep. So, well, Kendall, uh, man, I appreciate you taking the time and doing this with me and coming over. Thanks for having me. Appreciate all that you do. Uh, and if you are interested in reading anything that Kindle uh, produces, you can find his information at truthmatters.com.au. And uh, there you can find stuff that he's written. And he's even contributed to my blog at Coffeehouse Questions. And you can find his article there on uh, 10 self-defeating ideas I... that you could probably stop believing. There we go. 10 self-defeating ideas that you could probably stop believing. So, Kendall, uh, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for joining me on this fun discussion. Thanks. And uh, for all of you listening, I just appreciate you and uh, looking forward to future episodes and future uh, interviews that I'm going to be doing with uh, some great people. And so definitely be checking out for future things coming up. I'll also be working at Summit Ministries this summer, so I don't know how much I'll be producing, but uh, things will be coming. So thank you for so much for listening. Have a wonderful week. It's been Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pollard. Won't hesitate to follow